Sheesh, this is confusing. And I bet it's gonna get a lot more confusing. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. This is Back to the Futurama, your podcast voyage through the movie reboots of one of the greatest TV shows Fox ever canceled. I'm Ben. And I'm Mike. And today we're talking about Bender's Big Score, part two. This is the second one of the four that the movie ended up getting cut into. Excellent observation, Mike. Thank you. This, this is this is what people tune in to listen to. This is what I bring to the podcast. Everybody's sitting at home like, now wait a minute. You said... Bender's Big Score Part 2. Is that the second one? Exactly. Or was it the first one they just never released Part 1, but yet they did? Is like Part 2 the prequel so like actually part two comes before part one is this a star wars situation are there going to be midichlorians in here no midichlorians but we're thank god we're (laughs) okay fair that's good point there is weird time travel so who knows which part this actually ends up being oh that is a good point because time travel makes everything so easy to follow boy howdy including this podcast uh, this podcast is now about Quantum Leap, so... <laughs> Surprise! Oh no, I watched the wrong thing, because I watched the Futurama episode. Well, I, we're, I'm always just trying to hope that the next episode is going to be the one that gets me home. Yeah, you are trapped in my apartment until we finish this podcast. No! And, yeah, that's and, the worst TV pilot ever. Okay. Well, okay, hold on. Okay. Can we get food ordered in, or do we have to... Because we can't leave. I can't leave, I guess. Maybe you can. I can leave all I want. Oh, so I'm the one stuck here. It's my here. apartment. I'm the one with the keys. Right, but you said I'm stuck here. <laughs> uh-huh. But... Until we finish the entirety of this podcast. Oh, of this, the one we're recording right now? No, the whole thing. Okay. We have to get through like three more seasons of this, and then you can finally go home and see your wife and dog. Now, is this the Quantum Leap podcast or the Futurama podcast? I've gotten very confused. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay. I Yes, and gets really complicated when time travel's involved. <laughs> Because then it's like, and yes, because it's all backwards now. <laughs> I don't I don't think I should I should reward that with a laugh. It's it's, <laughs> it's dumb. DNA. Okay. Say yes and backwards. Also, I'm just now realizing DNA is and spelled backwards. <laughs> <laughs> i just want to let our listeners lo- know uh this is the kind of podcast you're tuning in to this week so gonna be fun on a bun thanks to to our patron <laughs> patrons on patreon who make this possible <laughs> we love we love you very much and we're really sorry <laughs> aren't you glad you finally started to pony up that dough to listen to us talk about Yes and Backwards, Quantum Leap, and... And not Futurama, which most likely people are tuning in to listen to. Okay, 
Bender's Big Score Part 2. The second one. We get a previously on Futurama bit, which I've never seen before just because I've only ever seen these in, you know, one big movie. Right. It doesn't really add much except you get a cool shot of Bender like in a smoking jacket. Yeah. In a in a lounge somewhere. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I wish I were him. It does remind you what happened last week if you had forgotten or, you know, like it left your mind a little bit. So it was like, oh, that is exactly what happened. Excellent. It's helpful for us considering we forgot we do a Futurama podcast five minutes into this podcast. Yes, it is super useful because I'm not going to hold that information for about a week. I can hold, barely hold it for five minutes. We start out right and right where we left off. Where Nibbler is shouting, doomed. Mm -hmm. And Nibbler points out this is a very dangerous thing because it's a paradox correcting time code and it prevents paradoxes. And it works perfectly until it rips open the universe. So, you know, everything's great. Yeah. For the most, until that bad thing happens. So uh, one of the scammer aliens pops directly into the sphere and uh, the time the time sphere that kind of popped up last episode and requests uh, yesterday. Um, and then the time sphere disappears and the alien walks in with a duplicate of himself and has some really weird sexual tension. I mean, sexual tension, sexual tension implies that like sort of will they won't they not they already did last night. That's true with themselves, basically. Mm hmm. Although there is, there is the, um, I, I read a whole thing. I think it was on Cracked because, of course, it would be on Cracked. Sure. But the, the whole idea is that if you found yourself in a room with your exact clone, you either inherently have to have sex with it or kill it. Because what else are you going to do with your clone? It is exactly like you in every way. There's no point in having conversation with it because it knows everything you know and has all of your same opinions. Okay. If I may offer a counterpoint. Okay. There are three things you can do. Okay. Sex, kill, or... Marry. Mario Kart. I thought this was going to be a marry, screw, kill thing, but there's no Mario Kart. You don't wake up and there's Mario Kart there. Well, then that's just a sad existence. I have a thing that plays Mario Kart in my house. I get to wake up and say, hey, I could play Mario Kart if I wanted. No, you start, you, you wake up in a room with nothing. Oh, so it's, it's just like just, a featureless room? It's a featureless with room it? with your clone. Well, yeah, anybody in there, I think it would be sex <laughs> or kill. <laughs> no, because if it's someone else, you can have a, an interesting conversation. You can uh. start a dumb podcast. Um, yeah, that's how we actually started this podcast. Right. We woke up and we were in a room and we we're like, eh, you know, not so much into the sex or the killing. Let's start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I know someone out there is like, yes, this is my headcanon now. Hey, you know what? I'll take it. You will? Beats the alternatives. That's so, right. um... <laughs> So it's pointed out that this is impossible because you can't have two of this same guy because that's that causes paradoxes. Mm -hmm. And so as the professor is sort of saying this, he leans over on the smelloscope and it tips over and crushes one of the clones, not clones, the instances, if you will, yeah. of the nude guy. Who Do we have a name for him? No, uh, we do later. I think... I just, I always forget it. 
Yeah, I don't remember it's like either. Nudar or yeah, something. Yeah, it's Nudar, I think. It's bad. It's, it's something it's about bad. him being nude. They're all nude. Why aren't they all named Nudar then? Maybe they are. Oh. Maybe it's Nudar, Nudon. That's true. And Noodle. Noodle. Yep. <laughs> I I just love this because now that you've mentioned that they're instances, it makes me feel like they're getting garbage collected, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what paradox correcting timecode is. It's, it's just it, a big programming language. Yeah, it's like the Java virtual machine. Mm-hmm. And I have made a joke that I will find funny when I listen to this back, and most likely no one else. That's not true. We, I'm sure there are programmers in our audience. Uh, most definitely. In fact, I'm, I work with them, and I'm going to share this one <laughs> so I can get somebody to laugh at it. <laughs> so it, it is pointed out that because this is paradox correcting timecode, there's always going to be something like that that just smooths everything out no paradoxes true then we go to hermes place for a bit where hermes still has no body sure nobody seems to really acknowledge that he has no body they're just like well i mean like i mean uh, dwight is like looking good pops like he's not looking good he has no body well i mean they've all kind of accepted this fact they they kind of dealt with this when this happened and then uh la barbara has uh coped in her own her own way by leaving him for barbados slim that mahogany god how can you argue with those luscious pecs i can't because they're wiggling at you they just do that on their own it's true those are some those are some pecs i i mean they're not as good as dwight the rock johnson Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Yep, I sure said Dwight, didn't I? You sure did. I'm thinking of Dwight Schrute. I wasn't well, okay. thinking of, <laughs> I wasn't thinking of the Rock at all. I don't like okay. I don't like <laughs> where my brain is going right now. Dwight's pecs? Dwight no, Dwight the Rock Johnson Johnson. <laughs> oh, okay. So like a mix between uh uh-huh. Dwight Schrute and Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh-huh. No big, I th- big muscles. Uh-huh mustard colored shirt yes mustard colored tie yes the haircut uh, probably murders jim oh by all <laughs> means yes the moment the moment that stapler is in jello he he has signed his own death warrant that's a fact it sure is and also death warrant is a thing <laughs> yeah so it's just a quick little cutaway where it's just like oh yeah la barbara's leaving so mm-hmm. and look at those luscious pecs uh-huh we got so distracted by those pecs I mean, hey man i always get distracted by pecs back at planet express um the nude aliens the scammers whatever they're called i i wrote them as nude guys every time i just wrote them as the aliens they are planning to go back in time and steal basically everything worth anything in all of history but it turns out that the bad news is this is a one-way time code. You can only go backwards in time. Yeah. And then you have to catch up to the present day just naturally, just as God intended. Just as God intended. Uh, they realize they can't go because they're organic. Uh, but Bender volunteers to go. And when he does, he'll wait multiple centuries in the limestone cavern under the Planet Express building. And so he... Uh, I, I like how he sort of pushes an antenna in because it reminds me of like toys where you you like push something in like that and then it it like cranks up a motor inside yeah. to like have it do something. 
So he pushes down his antenna and he reads off the time code really quick. And then he goes back in time and then he next thing he's coming up out of the basement with the Mona Lisa. It's a little unfinished. A little bit. Like it doesn't have a face. I would argue that is sort of the most notable part of the Mona Lisa. A lot of people talk about her smile mm-hmm. um, yeah. and name movies after it. It's true. Yes. So I'm going to wager a guess that if you got a Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa, with no face, uh, it's kind of lost its value. That's a solid uh, point. I have a secondary point. It seems like if you're painting, wouldn't you start with the face? Have you ever painted anything? No. See, you don't know nothing. I don't. That's why I'm asking the question. As somebody that did art. It depends on if you were inspired first by the head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Knees and toes. Or the background or, you know, the face. Fair enough. Everyone's got their own process. And I'm not here to tell you how Da Vinci painted. Gotcha. Other than well. He was pretty good. Oh, good. Yeah. Going to have some art. Uh, I thought we were going to have more scathing art criticism, but we are not. He was pretty good. I mean, if you want if you want to get really technical about it, I actually prefer his uh, charcoal drawings compared to his paintings. Okay. Um, yeah, I would recommend looking those up. They're pretty, pretty good. I'll have um, to check those out. I prefer Raphael if we're talking about Renaissance painters, but, mm-hmm. you know, to each their own. That's, that's fair. And this has been Ben's Art Criticism Corner. Um, so... After that, Bender hops back again, and he goes back to ancient Egypt, where he apparently speaks ancient Egyptian. Well, he just says what, uh, uh, he basically says hieroglyphs out loud, like, bird, bird, bird. I was not paying that close of attention, (laughs) to be honest. It's like river, bird, 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 and everybody drops the sarcophagus. It's very good. My brain was like, he's speaking ancient Egyptian. I don't need to pay attention to this at all. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what the subtitle said, so. Well, no, the the subtitles say, like, drop the sarcophagus. Well, no, I I had the the Hulu captions on. Oh, so, okay. When he's actually saying that. that, Okay. Yeah. But uh, before this, uh, the professor says time travel is impossible, which Fry points out the time that they went to Roswell, which the professor does not remember. Or remember who Fry is, for that matter. Yeah, the, I, I like the fact that the professor is becoming more and more of a kind of a memory loss patient. Uh, and Fry is becoming smarter because he literally pointed out, here's a thing that we did. Maybe maybe the Farnsworth genes have sort of a, a inverse, uh, no, a, a bell curve of smartness where like you hit late 20s and all of a sudden you're getting smart mm-hmm. and then toward the end you're just, you have no idea what's going on. That's fair. I feel like I might also be on that bell curve because I feel like <laughs> I'm only now getting kind of smart. I mean, listen to the podcast. I'm, I'm overstating it already. So as Bender is repeatedly going back in time, stealing things, and then waiting for thousands of years to catch up to the present, the professor is busy selling off his doomsday devices to, of all people, Hedonism Bot. Hey, Hedonism Bot can appreciate these things. 
I mean, it's true. Who else is really going to appreciate the artistry that is a good doomsday device? Exactly. Like, uh, if you sell it to, I don't know, Roberto, he's just going to use them. Can't just use them. That being said, Hedonism Bot does see a lava lamp that apparently kills everyone everywhere, and it immediately lets go and drops it on the floor and cr- breaks it. So he's also going to kill everyone, just, you know, not on purpose. Yes. Um, Once he's done cavorting. That just, that, the word cavort always just makes <laughs> me think of the IT crowd. Okay. Cavort! Like he's taking pictures of nerds, and he's yes. like, cavort! <laughs> I love the IT crowd. Can we do an IT crowd podcast? <laughs> it's going to be a lot shorter than this one. That's I can true. tell you that. Um, the limited run podcast is a good format, I think. Also, I've heard it's... All, it's uh, referred to as the it crowd by some people i don't want to offend anybody for saying it wrong if i'm saying it wrong it is but that it's information technology Mm -hmm. but it's a play on the it crowd uh, but yes but that's why it's the it crowd look we have listeners actually in england who are like that's true Hey, uh, listeners gonna in England. Going to be mad at us if we get it wrong, Lis- probably. Listeners in England, please uh, tweet at us, back to Futurama. Tell us if it is the IT crowd or the IT crowd. I am team IT crowd. Same. Um, but I'm also not from Great Britain, so... Mm-hmm. Um, but when I want something to be fixed on my computer, I don't call IT. That'd be terrifying. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a clown. Yep, he's a that, is definitely, clown. that is definitely the clown's name, IT. So... <laughs> I don't. I, I haven't read it. There's one Pennywise. No, I know. There's okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> I was going with the podcast. There's, there's one doomsday device that the professor just won't part with. I did not write down the name of it. Uh, the Sphero Boom. Of uh, naturally, it's a sphere, and it apparently goes boom. It's just got too much sentimental value, so he puts it in this bag and then handcuffs it to his wrist. The best way to keep something safe. In Sweden, in the year 2308, the Nobel Prize is being given out at the Swedeldome. <laughs> That's... It's very good. The dumbest name. It's very bad, but it's very good. Like, remember a couple of episodes ago when we were like, oh man, every sign in Futurama is so great with so amazing puns on everything. The Swedeldome. <laughs> I mean, I mean, unless that's a pun on something that we just are are totally missing. The only thing I can think of is the I think there's there's a hockey stadium in Calgary called the Saddle Dome, but that's that's a that's jump. Reaching. That's a jump. Uh-huh. Um, either way, uh, before the Nobel Prize can be given to MC Svensson for peace between East and West Coast rappers, Bender flies down in a saucer, steals it, and flies away. Um, and then there's like this whole chase sequence. And you get a a nice little callback to Fry, like a picture of Fry stuck in the the tube um, as these spaceships are flying by and just blasting at at, uh, buildings and stuff. Um, And and Bender laughs above it. So he was the reason in 2308 New York was destroyed. Which, by the way, they got from Sweden to New York real fast. I mean, it's 2308. They've perfected it by now. I suppose you're right. Back at Planet Express, Leela is busy getting ready for a date with Lars. 
And Hermes is really upset that no one is paying the remotest bit of attention to him. He he is just not being. I, I mean, I didn't I didn't pay enough attention to write anything down in this area about Hermes. Oh no, me neither. All I, all I did was write down that Hermes is being real upset that no one's paying attention to him, and I think he's got a point because I don't remember what he says. Yeah, me neither. I my main takeaway here is that Leela is using Torgo's executive powder as a mascara. <laughs> which is just just tremendous i mean i've said it before the executive powder jokes are phenomenal it's a, it's such a great thing where they just throw that in there and then keep calling back to it repeatedly a little bit more weird when you you know you've watched the last episode a week ago or whatever yeah because they didn't even throw that in the uh the previously on so now it's just like it, like if you missed that episode or just forgot you're like what the heck is all this executive powder they keep talking about? <laughs> uh, basically, she's trying to get pretty for her date with Lars. Uh, she, In her words, she doesn't want to look monstery and decides to wear a slutty number she was saving for Easter. <laughs> I like the idea of saving a really slutty dress for Easter. Mm-hmm. It just tickles me. So mm-hmm. I agree. It's like say- saying to Jesus, well, hello there, big boy. Okay. <laughs> I, I am towing the line and I understand it. So, uh, and Fry Lar- wants to punch Lars directly in his face. In his ruggedly good looking face. I, pretty, pretty ruggedly good looking, I think. And then the, the nude aliens want Bender to steal the professor's doomsday device because, you know, they're already stealing everything already. Like, Planet Express is just chock full of famous paintings and gold and statues and anything valuable really anything valuable the aliens are like okay but you got to be real stealthy about it you're gonna need jewelers tools and you're get and like uh, <laughs> bender says Please tell me you have this line yes bender says i don't tell you how to tell me what to do so don't tell me how to do what you tell me to do <laughs> it's so good and then uh, Bender also points out he knows when to use finesse. And then it cuts to the next shot where he comes out with the bag with the handcuff still attached to the professor's freshly severed hand. Finesse. And a, you know, bloody hacksaw. Yep, there's a lot of blood. Now that's what I call finesse. <clears throat> yes. The most finesse. Um, the aliens uh, get him to put it in the safe. And Bender tosses uh, the professor's hands away, or hand away, sorry, uh, and which he throws out the window and it hits Zoidberg on the Tukas. Yep. Right there on the Tukas. And then, uh, yeah, Zoidberg is attaching the hand back on the professor, mm-hmm. which Hermes points out that Zoidberg uh, does a good hand job. Uh-huh. So he's 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 good at his work, you know, as you do. It is it is interesting to me how like now that they're not on Fox, they're just sort of doing these direct to DVD movies or pushing the line a little Uh bit more because I don't think that's a thing that that would have made it even on Fox. Likely. No. Yeah, I agree with you there. But, you know, now it's direct to DVD. They can do whatever the hell they want. (laughs) frankly apparently nobody at fox cares (laughs) i mean throw something out we'll make money fine whatever executive powder fine whatever 
while the professor is getting his hand stitched back on, he says, at least the Sphero Boom is still safe. And he opens the bag, and instead of the Sphero Boom, he sees a rose with a message that he's been scammed, sweetheart. He gets very upset. Mostly at the sweetheart part. I mean, to be fair, don't go around calling people sweetheart who don't want to be called sweetheart. That's fair. That applies to, like, everybody. That's true. So, you know. Especially when you see a rose that indicates that you've been scammed. It's um, like the last little injustice right at the end. Right. The the legal. insult to the injury, if you will. Yeah. The salt in the wound, if mm-hmm. you will. The lemon in the paper cut, if you mm-hmm. will. The gravy okay. in the shoe, if you will. I'm not I'm not gonna will that one, I don't think. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ask questions about that one. Does that come from a, a incident in your past? Have have you had your shoe gravied? Can't say that I have. The Have you wanted to gravy somebody else's shoe? No. Okay. So this is just whole cloth, your twisted mind. The clown Okay. In your Uh oh sinking houseboat that seems very sad for the clown (laughs) like now i went from terrified to very concerned that clown has a family man but he was also on your houseboat why was he on your houseboat maybe i was having a child's party and i accidentally sank the thing i'm still i'm still sad like just because the clown was on the houseboat without authorization possibly doesn't mean that 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 clown doesn't have a family Somebody's got to go save this clown. Anyways, the uh, Hermes is uh, very interested in hiring Zoidberg to uh, attach his head to a body. He, he calls it recapitating himself. I do appreciate that. It's such clever. That's that's clever. That's that's Futurama. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... He he concocts this plan where he has Bender go back in time to get his old body from back when he had a body. And don't worry about if it has a head or not. Just bring it back. Mm-hmm. And Bender pulls out the hacksaw. As he does. I do want to point out one thing that I believe becomes important in, in one of the next few parts. Not okay. to, Not to... But it, it definitely... As somebody that doesn't quite remember, it felt a lot like foreshadowing. Um, when when the professor gets mad, he throws the bag out the door, and it and Bender is there to catch it in his compartment and giggles and ha ha ha. Okay, I don't remember that for the, if that's foreshadowing or not. Okay, well that will make either make you very smart or very dumb. It depending feels like on... foreshadowing, man. <laughs> also, Hermes' head gets pasted back on with some. Oh wait, I'm skipping ahead. My bad. I mean, we, we ne- see now we're in the time travel thing. Right. I had, I had, um, you would jump forward, I'd jump back. Two steps forward, one step back. Um, no, because that is my next note. So, anyways, Bender goes back and gets his body. Yes. For Hermes, and then Zoidberg uses a concoction of some of the water from the head jar mm-hmm. and Torgo's executive powder to make a paste to just stick. Hermes head back on his body. However, uh, the good doctor made a mistake. He put Hermes's head on backwards. He looks down and says, what are those? 
it's sort of a terrifying visual to see her mm-hmm. a, a butt naked Hermes backwards head head on backwards. It's it's a little body horror ish. A little yeah. Uh, and then Hermes chases Zoidberg out of the room for doing a bad job. Meanwhile, the Harlem Globetrotters show up and do some math to some some globetrotting algebra, if you will, to prove that it is possible to have paradox-free time travel. Mm-hmm. Um, they point out that there is a doom field. I do not like the name of that. The doom field. Well, that sounds awful. Well, it corrects the paradoxes. Oh, that sounds great. But it could tear the universe apart. Oh, that's bad. So that's why they probably call it the doom field. Because <laughs> it seems like everybody's doomed. And to point this out, as Hermes runs into the room, uh, the professor is asked if he has a doom meter. Which, of course, he does. He has one lying right there on the table, like at the ready. I feel like he's just going around being like, mostly doomed, kind of doomed, definitely doomed, not really doomed. Well, okay, so, because I've got some thoughts on this. Okay, let's get into it. Because the professor points the doom meter at the the Hermes duplicate body. Okay. And it's, he says, and I quote, it is producing doom at 10 times the, the background level. Okay. But if you look at the thing, if you look at the screen on the doom meter, it is almost to 1,000 millidooms. Okay. So, like, is one doom, everything is doomed? Well, I, well, he said, what, 10 times the background level? Mm-hmm. So there's just a, you know, a usual amount of doom around. There's right, there's, 100... a, there's a constant 100 millidooms right. all over. So In this room right now. Yes. 100 millidooms. Because we're all technically doomed, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. That's correct. But, so, but my, my thought is that one doom is doom. Yes. Right, because a thousand millidooms equals one doom. Yes. And so, like, Hermes's body, duplicate body, is so close to doom. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very clearly. Yeah, I, I think that, that just makes sense because we've just determined that this doom field mm-hmm. uh, corrects the paradoxes and Hermes's body is now a paradox. Mm-hmm. But then, because, like, I don't think you can have, like, two dooms, right? Like, mm-hmm. at that point, one doom to zero doom is sort of like a percentage almost. Kind of. It seems that way, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, they didn't really describe too much of the scale and this measurement. <laughs> I wish they would have gone, taken a little bit more time to really explain it so we could have a, a better understanding. I like this is how this is the first time we've ever done this, considering... Um, the professor has previously pulled out the coolometer. No, that just makes sense. <laughs> That's fine. But I mean, one doom is doom. It's period. Like, you know, it makes sense. Okay. And it's it's just too bad they didn't give us more in the source material to really go off of. Now, if you pointed a doom meter at the video game Doom. Oh, see now this is a how good would conversation. that register? Well, clearly it's Doom. Uh-huh. But it's not Doom duh. Doomed. So it has to say it's doom because mm-hmm. it's doom, mm-hmm. but it's not doomed. So it can't mm-hmm. say it's doomed. But how, do, how does the scale work with doom and doomed? I don't know. Well, if, you, if you're a scientist who studies doom, please tweet that back to Futurama. 
Yes, because I think I'd like to meet you. <laughs> I, or maybe I, I don't. Just, I, w- I just want to know how you got into the field of doom study. Yeah, I, d- is, that, is that a... Uh, how many years do you have to go to get a PhD in doom? Yeah, and where did you go? Is that what Dr. Doom does? <gasps> I think we figured it out. Figured it out. He got a PhD in Doom. He's probably got a lot of Doom meters. He sure does. Oh, we put it together <laughs> finally. See? And here's the thing. They didn't put any of this in the source material. They were expecting us to make it. And we did. And we did. Meanwhile, at Elzar's. <laughs> Bam. Lars and Leela are on a date. Who, they seem to be having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this Lars is getting Leela to drink from a, a glass that he is balancing on a fork, which is the weirdest dating ritual I've ever seen. Hey, she seems to be enjoying it. She does also point out that most men are intimidated at the fact that she can kill them with a flick of the wrist. Uh, he suggests that uh, then she would be left with the bill. It is pretty clever. Mm-hmm. They have a very clever exchange. They seem to be uh, enjoying each other's company. Um, then they go on a hot soap bubble ride. Well, you missed the part about how Elzar shows up and sprinkles some ground up executives from a spice weasel. That might have been by choice. <laughs> but it's Torgo's executive powder. No, I get it. We got to... Every time? Every time. Every time. Okay. Next uh, next week, when I'm sure Torgo's executive powder comes again in part three, the third one, um, I'm sure I will mark down exactly every time with timestamps. And uh, This podcast is brought to you by Torgo's executive powder. If we don't mention it every time, we don't get the monies. Oh, see, th- this, is, this is the discussion I, w- I needed to have before the podcast. Darn it. Um, but yes, then they go on this date in a giant soap bubble. Which seems like the worst idea. It's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, they at one point drift apart, but Lars has a uh, you know a jar of bubble soap in his pocket and just uses a bubble to connect them back. Does he just walk around with the the bubble solution in his pocket at all times? It's called whimsy, Ben. Lars, I'm, su- I'm Lars, surprised more people in Portland don't. Lars is just a manic pixie dream. Lars, always going around with bubbles in his pockets and balancing. Being happy to see me. Balancing uh, uh, champagne glasses on forks. Yeah, he doesn't Wor- have working, hair now. Working at a head museum. I, it's it's classic every, manic pixie dream. Lars, every trope in the book, <laughs> and and yet can't help but fall in love with Lars. I mean, it's that rugged good looks. It's true. Um, they they do kiss in the hot air balloon. Or, it's a no, pretty sorry, steamy. The hot soap bubble. It's a pretty steamy make out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fry is also in a bubble a little bit away, and he's holding a bouquet of roses, and he sees them kissing and throws it down, which pops his balloon, or again, balloon. I keep going to the one that's real and not the one that's in the Futurama. He pops the bubble, and he falls a long way which is why it's terrifying i'm not disagreeing on the terrifying part back at planet express the nude aliens have every valuable item from history and suddenly he cares if the universe gets destroyed because like he's rich and things are going pretty well for him 
so they go to blank the code from Bender's memory and go to vaporize Fry so that no one else can get the time code off of his butt. That seems a little bit extreme. You could just cut off the butt. You don't have to kill Fry. I think they have... It's that kind of, if X is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. They have a lot of guns. Okay. They don't seem to have a lot of cutting implements. Hmm, that's true. All right, you've got a point. My complaint is uh, rescinded. That's true. Although I would suggest that I don't have a point, I have a barrel. Because it's gun instead of a knife thing. This podcast is canceled. All right, no, Um, I mean, that's fair. (laughs) We just Um, couldn't pull that Torgo money anymore now that I messed it up. It's true. Um, Sorry, everybody. I mean, we're only going to be able to get money from the competitor... Lanigan's executive substitute. Hey, but just because it's not Torgo's doesn't mean that Flanagan's can't pay the bills. (laughs) In fact, I think Flanagan's is better. Me too, now that they're paying me. (laughs) Um, A man of convictions you are, I think. (laughs) So, um, So, yeah, they... Uh, they run off to, or they try to shoot Fry, but he runs away and he decides to grab a mirror and read the code off of his butt in a room where the Globetrotters are all showering after the calculus they've performed. That was some intense calculus. You gotta hit the showers after that, man. (laughs) I mean, I, that's, I, that's why I think I didn't do so well in the four calculuses I took. That's why I never took calculus. I'm a sweaty guy. Like... I didn't want to show up to class and be like, oh, yeah, doing all this calculus and just be like pouring sweat like that's disgusting. Nobody needs to see that. It's true. So I never took calculus. I went I did art instead. That being said, if you get far enough in calculuses, you'll start having groups of two people instead of 30. I took calculus four, and there were five people there. So no one really cared how much I was sweating. Oh, I'm sure they If you showed up sweating profusely, I'm sure four people would have cared. I mean, it was a 90 degree day and I uh, it, th- that room was not air conditioned on the East Coast with humidity. So, yeah, Fry somehow manages to read a, a very tiny bit of binary off of his butt through with a mirror while running away from guys pointing guns at him. I'm actually very impressed. He's by good this. At- ability absolutely he's good in the clutch and so he goes back in time uh to january 1st 2000 and at 12 30 a.m and he's like i'm back in my own time and kind of flashes everybody because he's still got no pants yeah back in 3000 this is where it starts getting confusing because enter the time travel and the time travel that isn't just bender going back to steal something and waiting and then showing back up Bender suggests that Fry, or no, because the the nude guys are like, we'll never find him. And then Bender suggests that he went back to the year two thousand, because he always goes there. Because he always goes there. <laughs> I love that concept. I mean, to be fair, one time he did go to nineteen forty five. That's true. But generally, yeah, he kind of yeah. goes to two thousand. So this this uh, the aliens send Bender back. A little bit earlier than that to terminate him. And so Bender appears in Applied Cryogenics at 12.28 a.m. that same same morning. 
this whole part is very Terminator esque mm-hmm. because he even puts on like the Terminator sunglasses um, with the explanation. It's bright in the future, in the past. What <laughs> Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Uh, yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be difficult to get through. So Bender goes back in time uh, before Fry gets there. Drinks the rest of the beers sitting on the floor mm-hmm. from the the pizza delivery that Fry completed, and then Bender all of a sudden needs to use the bathroom for the first time ever. Well, the cheap beer really runs through you, which yeah. doesn't make any sense. But well, I'm gonna go with it on this one. It still is a weird joke to be like, "This is the time Bender needs to use the bathroom." But he's worried that if he goes to the bathroom, then he won't be there to see when Fry comes in. And so he goes back 19 seconds into the past and then tells past him to wait there so that he can go use the bathroom. So now there are two benders in the past. Now, would you like me to make it more difficult? Because a third bender shows up in a tuxedo. Bender even literally says, like... Uh, but before the third bender shows up, oh, okay. Bender even literally says, "Sheesh, this is confusing," and I bet it's gonna get a lot more confusing. <laughs> You're right, Bender. At least they are cognizant of what they were about to do to the audience. Yes, but they didn't decide. Hey, we could we could not look when you when you come back after being canceled. Be as complicated as you hu- humanly can be, and show way more butts. There was a lot of butts. Uh, anyway, so the third bender comes in with a tattoo or a, a, a tuxedo and says, I'm Bender from way at the end, which is just <laughs> just terrific. Uh-huh. Um, he has shown up specifically so that he can put the time code tattoo on Fry's butt. And so he literally just shows up like slaps his tattoo on Fry's butt, the, the Fry in the tube, mm-hmm. because there are now two Fry's and three benders. Yep. Yep, time travel is confusing. <laughs> um, and then uh, Fry shows that, yeah, Fry shows up because mm-hmm, it's twelve thirty now. And uh, Bender tries to kill Fry, but Fry points out that they're best friends. And then Bender has this like meltdown, and he's about to auto destruct, mm-hmm. which he hates auto destruct. I mean, I'm not keen on it. It's fair. I don't think anybody really is. And then Fry pushes him into one of the uh, cryogenic tubes. Before he can explode. Mm -hmm. uh, And sets it for a million years. And then the other bender comes out of the bathroom as Fry is leaving the building. Mm -hmm. But can't really catch up to him. And so he's just like, eh, whatever. And then goes to a suicide booth to try and kill himself. This is actually, I like this joke. Because it is it is such a great reversal of the joke in the first episode mm-hmm. of Futurama where Fry tries to use a phone booth, but it turns out to be a suicide booth. Right. Because now Bender is trying to use a suicide booth, but it turns out to be a phone booth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good little like a good juxtaposition. Little... I like that. I agree. Um, he, since he finds it's a telephone, uh, he's disappointed, but... He sees a, some yellow pages and finds a lot of fries in the in the yellow pages. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's I mean, this is exactly like you know Terminator. Terminator goes back, looks for Sarah Connors's in the phone book, mm-hmm. and then um, tries to you know kill kill them 
Mm-hmm. That's the plot of Terminator recapped by me. You're welcome. That's a good recap. Thank you. Um, he walks out of the phone booth and finds a man immediately that that answers to Philip Fry. Well, it's because Bender says that he's got he's got a present for Philip J. Fry, and so this this uh, bum on the street is like, "I'm Philip J. Fry," and then Bender makes him show him his butt because he's trying to find someone with that tattoo on his butt. Right. And of course this this uh bum has no Bender tattoo on his butt. Uh so then Bender goes to Michelle's place. Uh but Michelle just kicked Fry out 2 hours ago. So uh Bender makes Constantine with <laughs> who has a dumb name uh-huh. according to Michelle show Bender his butt just to make sure. And Bender gets why he why she went with Constantine instead of Fry. So there you go about that. I do like how they got um, Sarah Silverman to reprise the role of Michelle, because in other other times Michelle has shown up that isn't the cryogenic woman. Uh, no, the cryonic woman. Right. Uh, other times she's shown up, they haven't gotten her. I mean, that's because it's you know quick little clips, but they actually got uh, Sarah Silverman back for this. Yeah, it was really it was it was good to hear the right voice. Eleven months later, we get. Yep, uh, probably the dumbest. It's bad. Um, it's just if it were funny, I would be accepting of it, but it is not funny. It it really wasn't because like it's it's in Florida. In the year 2000, November, yeah. Florida is trying to figure out who they voted for. And first of all, how is it even possible that presidential candidate Al Gore would be in the room where they are literally counting votes? Exactly. There is no no possible way. That seems like a conflict of interest. A little bit. <laughs> Just a tiny little bit. And so... My note literally just is like Bush Gore jokes question mark. I mean, because that's like pretty much it. Al Gore is looking forward to being the next president of the United States. So then Bender comes in and shoots up the place, and in the process, shoots a a, a tub full of votes for Gore. And then it cuts to a newspaper that says Bush quote wins unquote. And I'm like, look, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. Right. Why is this even This this only seems to be here so that they can set up a joke where Al Gore is a cab driver. Now, don't get me wrong, I like that joke. Okay. But was the You didn't need to set it up with a with a I mean this was not this wasn't funny when the movie came out in like 2000 Six two thousand seven. Yeah, it was it 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 was it, dated by then. Yeah, and it's it hasn't aged well. It hasn't it had it has aged terribly. Yeah, it is like a, f- and it's not even that long. We shouldn't be talking about it this long. We've it, spent three times as long talking about that scene as this actual scene because it is just awful. It's not if it were funny. If it were funny. If it were funny at the time. I would be like, okay, at least it was funny at the time, maybe at age. It wasn't even funny. You're right. It wasn't funny then. Like this, this is a, a, a complete misstep. Anyways, 12 years pass. On Long Island in 2012, Bender shows up and finds Yancey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who requests Philip Fry. 
And uh, yeah, it's it's Fry's nephew, which is weird that he's still named Philip J. Fry if Fry has come back. Yeah, that's a good question. Because he's very specifically named Philip J. Fry in honor of his uncle to carry on his spirit. It's on his tombstone. It's true. Um, but basically his uncle never disappeared. But uh, it turns out that after a little bit of uh, childhood uh, guff that he gives Bender, mm-hmm. uh, Uncle Phil uh, went uh, fishing, uh, went to the North Pole on a fishing boat. Not the Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Just throwing Could've that out both. there. Could have been both. In this case, it's just Philip J. Fry. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air podcast. <laughs> throwing that idea out there. Uh, the problem is, is that the only title I could come up with it would be, um, literally, this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, uh, and so on and so forth. It would be too like, long, way too long, to. so I can't do it. Okay, fair That's enough. The, only, it, the entirety of the song is... The yeah. only title of a podcast I'm willing to be on. That's true. So, so, I mean, really, when it comes down to podcasting, you always have to have the name first. Exactly. So, it makes sense. Anyways, now I've got the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air song stuck in my head. So... You're welcome. Bender goes to the docks to go to the North Pole. But then just then, he sees somebody getting off of a boat who looks an awful lot like Fry, just with a big, bushy beard. Fortunately, his pants fall down a little bit, and, he, and Bender fi- sees the time code. Uh, so he gets into a taxi, and then Bender gets into another taxi that is a hybrid taxi. Uh-huh. He's like, follow that cab, and I'll give you a hundred bucks if you follow it. Was it so close that... I, I don't did, remember what he says. I did not catch it. Um, And then it turns out that Al Gore is the taxi driver. Like, he's even got a little name mm-hmm. tag yeah. on it. And again, I love this joke because it's actually Al Gore doing the voice of himself as a cab driver in the year 2012, which was at the time a reference to the future because this came out in 2007. Uh Uh-huh. There's a lot going on there. Anyways. There's a lot going on in this entire thing. And then Al Gore is a terrible taxi driver. He basically floors it while while being in reverse. There's a whole lot of things going on. It's very good. And then, uh, he ends up like crashing and everything and Bender leaves and then Well Bender gets ejected. Like he doesn't just leave, okay, he gets ejected sure. out the back. I wasn't paying attention because I just <laughs> wanted to get to the next note, which is Al Gore is like, Ah dang, that hundred dollars could have bought me one gallon of gas and looks like straight at the camera. And I'm like <laughs> That's actually pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. Like yeah. And then uh, Fry goes to Panucci's Pizza and Seymour is there. Um, so we sort of retcon this whole like sadness of Seymour sure. waiting endlessly for Fry to come back. Sure, as you do. Which I have some feelings on. Mm-hmm. I imagine some of our listeners do as well. Because, now don't get me wrong. Okay. I don't want dogs to be sad. Okay. But... I feel like you can't make this super iconic, albeit very, very, very sad episode of TV and then just be like, oh, shoot. A lot of people got really sad about that. Let's walk it back. Like, don't retcon it. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, I I feel like either don't have done it in the first place or live with it once you did it. Sure. Like, 
You can't have it both ways. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm glad Seymour doesn't you know have a sad life of twelve years after Fry leaves. But like, it's the storytelling aspect of retconning that is sure. Uh, I find it a little annoying personally. Uh, well, that is a controversial take, I believe. Um, so that is my hot take. Your hot take of the evening on a hot night in Portland. Bender shows up and first thinks he lost him, but looks up and and Fry is in uh like a an apartment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't really know it's an apartment just yet, but he's in an apartment above Panucci's Pizza. Sure. And so he takes out this like rocket launcher and just shoots at Fry and uh i mean i don't know if it's, it might just be the gun he always had i, again, yeah, I, think I wasn't it was all paying the, attention yeah it was the gun he always had but in, he i don't think he'd ever fired it i just assumed rocket launcher because there's a big explosion there is a big explosion the the building gets destroyed and it fast fossilizes seymour mm-hmm. which i do need to apologize because i did say there were no more dead dogs after that yeah episode. i was just about Techni- <laughs> technically speaking there is the same dead dog uh-huh so a dog does die. Uh-huh. It's just not a new dead dog. You know, just the, the same dead the dog. The same dead dog. In a different way. Right. It's, a, it's, it's, it's just... But now it's a 15-year-old dog who had a very happy life living with his owner. There are no more sad dead dogs. Right. That, be, that all being said, it's a remix on the, the dead dog. Remix. I love it. That was that was a standing ovation. So so destroying the building. Uh, after doing that, Bender kind of starts, "Ha ha! I did it!" and starts laughing until he sobs and says, "What have I done?" And that's where the episode ends. Yep, we get a to be continued, and that means it's time for grades. I mean, it it again it it has the same problems that last week's episode had. It's part of a bigger chunk sure um i think overall this was a bit more successful because you didn't need the i mean the last episode was i don't know 18 minutes of setup for a 24 minute episode Mm -hmm. this was actually just a lot of stuff happening and i think it was a lot better the 2000 election election joke oh man needs to go like so bad yeah um a lot of the other jokes i found pretty fun actually hedonism bot buying doomsday devices it's a lot of fun uh sarah silverman back as michelle that's awesome you know there's there's uh i think this is actually overall a pretty decent episode Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to not just like dump on it because it's you know part two of four parts of a movie um, so with all that said, I will give it a B plus. Okay. Um, overall, pretty good. I liked I liked this section as a just one episode more than I intended to, uh, more than I expected to. Sure. Um, and so yeah, I think for that, I I think it's a B plus. Okay. I I do agree with you. It feels like uh last week's episode was basically Act One. Um, where this is kind of what seems to be kind of act, half of Act Two, possibly. Mm-hmm. You know what they say about a uh, time code in the first act, right? You got to fire it in the third, mm-hmm. or in this case, second. But it's fine. I mean, they basically use it 
three minutes after they create it. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm having a hard time disagreeing. I, it feels like it's all over the place to me. Okay. And not in that kind of good Futurama way. Like, it, it feels a little to the detriment that there's almost too much going on. But again, we're talking... We're, the, the problem with this these movies is that we're going to be talking about this specific one including whatever came behind that we can remember like because that it build the story builds off right. of it we can't talk about or we don't talk about the rest of it so we're taking these four chunks of this one movie and saying this chunk was pretty good it's it's such a weird right weird section we find ourselves in that being said it was good it was funny yes the 2000 bit could just have disappeared <laughs> entirely and nothing would have changed uh-huh. um yeah I, I i don't know if i enjoyed it as much as you did but i i think it's a a b minus okay yeah well we want to know what you all think so if you want to let us know what you think about the movie so far split up into different sections uh tired jokes about the year 2000 election mm-hmm. uh the the retcon of seymour um you know just whatever you want to talk about including any of the bonkers stuff that we can't remember from the first half of this podcast because it was crazy it was buck wild buck wild i said please let us know you can email us at back to the futurama podcast at gmail.com you can tweet at us at back to futurama you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash back to futurama and we are on apple podcasts and spotify so find us there review us rate us subscribe and send to your friends and we can we can all apply torgo's executive powder together okay that went places i wasn't expecting um Oh, right. I'm sorry. Flanagan's executive uh, substitute. substitute. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, I didn't, for, editor Ben, please remove that previous one. It was, it's not where, where the money's coming from anymore. And don't forget, we're now on Patreon. So if you want to support us and get some rewards along the way, you can find us on patreon.com slash back to Futurama. We definitely appreciate anything you want to uh, share with us. And until next time, I'm Ben. And I'm Mike. Goodbye from the world of tomorrow. tomorrow.